Dan! 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 Hi, and welcome to Dancast, the digital advertising news podcast brought to you by Searchstar. This week is episode three of Dancast, and we've had, I'd say, tens of, tens of listeners over the past couple of months come through our doors. But as ever, my name's Nick, I'm the marketing manager at Searchstar, and beside me, I have got Dan Fallon. Just to give you a bit of background, Dan's had a very busy past couple of days. He's spent most of that time at the Excel in London. Um, at the B2C Marketing Expo, delivering masterclasses to... Uh, I wanted to say all and sundry, but that's... that's it was slightly <laughs> um, uh, Which were apparently very well received. Um, we've had a stand there, we've had several people down there doing that. But yesterday afternoon, he hot-footed back to Bath for the Bath Life Awards. And had a slightly late night. Had He's a, sounding a teensy bit croaky. And isn't quite sharp as he normally is. Apologies. You should have seen him this morning, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he he was a sight for sore eyes. I'm slightly unenthusiastic about recording a podcast. Yeah, we almost didn't record it, but he decided at the Suck last minute get to get it. on with it, which is testament. So let's get on with it. Come on, let's get to it. <laughs> okay. Okay, so, I mean, this week we've got some pretty expansive, industry-shaking news to discuss with you listeners. Dan-shattering news to talk about. Uh, forget GDPR, these are massive. Obviously, don't forget GDPR. If you ever listened to episode two, uh, you'll know why. But it is a bit dull. But it is, it is a little bit dull. Um, and we'll also be hearing from Sean, JavaScript distiller Miller, uh, who will be talking about her three most recommended or requested AdWords scripts a bit later. Uh, basically, help, these things can help you save bags of time and do fancier things with your accounts, uh, thereby achieving more. But on to that in a minute. Um, first up in the digital advertising news for this month is... The agency model, and now I'm not talking about attractive men or women, I'm talking about how agencies are sort of constructed and how they operate. Basically, we've had P&G this year, who's the world's largest advertiser. Uh, They've been in and out of the news uh, as they threaten to cut advertising spend and restructure the way they work with advertisers. Uh, Earlier this year, P&G announced plans to further cut ties with agencies by slashing its roster by a further 50% by the end of 2018. Uh, and now these echo, these views, even, have been echoed by the glorious Martin Sorrell uh, at Advertising Week Europe uh, via video link. Uh, he said that what Mark Pritchard and Keith Weed, uh, Keith Reed is at Unilever, uh, are signalling, and other, other, t- other advertisers have signalled, is that we have to be more responsive, more agile, less bureaucratic, less layered, more principle-driven, in the sense of driven by creative people. One of the things we pointed out to Mark in our discussions with him, said Sorrell, there were two things. First, it was pointed out that about 50% of what we do is creative, and the objective was to move that to 75%. So 75% of time spent should be around the creative product of our craft, rather than being strategic, account management, or whatever it happens to be. All of this talk this year has basically led to suggestions and several articles on the drum and campaign that perhaps suggest that the agency model is broken. Dan is an agency owner, so I thought it pertinent to try and sort of wheedle out of him what, whether he thought there was an issue with the ways agencies 
the ways in which agencies currently operate. So, Dan, what do you think about all this? Um, I think there are issues with which... I think there are issues with which agencies and how, how they operate. I am not thinking clearly. Some agencies definitely have a problem. To run a good agency, you need to be able to do something better than your client, faster than your client, more efficiently than your client, so that they look at it and think, actually, those guys do it better than us, they do it faster than us, they do it cheaper than we could, so we're going to hire them. And I think a lot of agencies don't particularly deliver that. They are bureaucratic, there is a sort of padding of account management, and those types of agencies are getting themselves into a bit of trouble. Clients are looking quite hard at what they do, and they're deciding actually to in-house it. You know, these are agencies that are talking the talk of Agile, but not really delivering it. I think, and this is a slightly smug statement, so I don't want to get bitten on it, <laughs> but SearchDart has always been quite an Agile operation. We've always sort of, we've never had an account management structure, we've never had an account management layer, and I've always said that our, our media managers are player managers in that they do the doing and also they look after the client relationships, allowing the clients to talk directly to the people who do the work. And that's always been a very popular thing. It become, it's a model that becomes a bit stressed when you, the more complicated and complex the product or the, the project you're working on and the more sort of multifaceted it is, it do, you end up needing some sort of coordination. But I think as long as we can keep that coordination account management layer as light as possible, mm -hmm. we're certainly on the less vulnerable end of the sort of in-housing debate. Um, and, and, and search start, I mean, for me, is unlike any agency I've ever worked in, whereas, you know, we don't have a PPC team who sort of sit in isolation delivering the work while you've got one person managing an account. The, the, the account managers very much do everything themselves, essentially, don't they? Like even, even the directors don't necessarily get involved on a day-to-day -day basis with the accounts. Um, and I think that works really well for us. It, um, as far as I've seen, it works exceptionally well for us. The other bit, the, 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 the other reason why this statement agency model is broken is on the media buying side. The likes of Facebook and Google are taking so much money direct that the large, which the large media agencies aren't enjoying. Traditionally, they quite liked managing the money through their books. It allowed them to sit on an awful lot of cash, and it also allowed them to do some possibly slightly questionable deals with the media owners in the background to make a little bit of extra money and not necessarily declare some of those commissions to the client. Where the, the follow-up question on this is, where do we see agencies in five years' time? I do think there will be fewer. I think they'll be a lot simpler. I think they'll be much more focused. The generalist agencies, agencies that call themselves integrated or full service, I suspect are going to have a fairly tough time. We've always, I think, the ones that manage to focus on doing a few things or one thing really, really well will be the ones that where the clients are looking at what they do and say, actually, they do do that better than we do. They're the ones that are mm -hmm. going to thrive. Um, people talk about advertising in-housing as being, you know, there's lots of people saying, oh, it's cyclical, those people who are talking about taking it in-house, they'll be sending it out again in a couple of years' time. I'm not actually convinced by that. I think that large advertisers are going to in-house things, and I think they will just, they may not get it right first time, but they'll work at the model They'll try and get it right, but that's. But what they're doing is they're in-housing the stuff that they they consider to be pretty standard. There's still a space for people. If you're an agency that is doing things 
that are at the cutting edge or that are new, then that's the stuff that the large advertiser go, are going, actually, we're not yet ready to build a department to do that. We feel a bit uncomfortable, that's what we're going to put out to the specialists. So I think if what you're doing is providing a business as usual standard service and making slightly fat margins on it, then in that the client buys day in, day out, then inevitably they're going to look at it and go, actually, we could do, we, we always buy that. We're allowing somebody mm -hmm. else to make quite a lot of profit. We should be doing it ourselves. And that's what they're doing. But if you're pushing the boundaries, you'll be fine. And I think the big, big media agencies, the big ad the big media agencies have kind of been caught doing business as usual stuff and making too much yeah. money out of it. But if they can push themselves back to being cutting edge and to focus on being creative that the clients can't do, they'll be fine. So you, so you think this, rather than being, so we're, we're obviously we're an independent agency, mm -hmm. do you think it's less, actually less applicable to us and the way we work? So do you think we're almost defended from it versus, you know, these big sort of conglomerate? I don't think it's necessarily to do with being independent versus being a conglomerate. I think it's to do with, because there are independent agencies that are integrated and buy media and, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to get hit. And then, you know, I know several that are having a less healthy time than they used to. Um, and yeah, that's think, true. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's independent or conglomerate. I just think it's specialist and cutting edge versus slightly bland, and slightly bland isn't doing very well. This isn't a search star sales pitch, by the way, listeners. Um, although, as it you're happens, more than welcome to buy from us. Yeah, we're more than welcome. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, we're taking on nicely. Yeah. Um, What's next? Well, so okay, so this I is a bit of a this is, this is a bit of a smash and grab podcast. So I think. Now we're going to head over to Sean, what did I call her? Sean JavaScript Distiller Miller for her take on JavaScript and scripts in AdWords and how they can help you. Welcome, Sean. Hello. Welcome to Dancast. Good to be here. Sean. I bet it is. I bet you're very excited about Dancast. I am. To highlight my week. Highlight your week. And it's a Friday, so it might actually be the highlight of her week, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Tell me in 30 seconds what you do around the office, AdOps manager. Uh, so yeah, as AdOps manager, I think primarily I work with the programmatic team on the sort of tech side of what we do. So we do a lot with, with DoubleClick, which is um, a Google product or a range of products. Um, but I also work closely with everybody else in the office, really. Um, all of the uh, AdWords account managers and ones working on Bing and things like that, mainly from a tech position, um, making sure that everything is where it needs to be for them to do their jobs, basically. That was about 30 seconds. I, w I wasn't actually counting. Uh, with Ryan last week, I was very strict with his, with his timings, but we'll, we'll, we'll let this run a little bit, it's fine. Today, Sean is going to talk about one aspect of her job, which is um, AdWords scripts. She'll, she'll tell you more about that. Sean will tell you more about that in a minute. I mean, I, I understand it a little bit, but mainly over my head. As marketing manager, I don't deal with any of that stuff. The background is essentially that... Google pretty much likes automation. Definitely. Google are into their automation, whether that's a basic level or whether that's something a bit stronger, like smart bidding, which, I don't know, you just let run and it does your AdWords for you, essentially, doesn't it? Yeah, sort of. Not, we're not <laughs> handing everything over to the robots, but, um, but yeah, there's lots of automation tools that Google are coming out with and they're very forward-thinking um, and, and telling us all to get on board with automation because it, it's coming and it's not leaving, basically. Sometimes it works really well. Sometimes we found it doesn't necessarily work quite as well. I think that's fair to say. But these things called scripts are ways of automating accounts 
and account management basically that are well, I mean, we we decide the ones we want to use essentially, so they're always good. I'd, I'd yeah, yeah. There are there are type of automa- automation that we can use um, in AdWords, but there's quite a lot of customization that we can do. So fundamentally, we're still in control of them. We're not quite handing the reins completely over. There's still some brains behind them, um, uh-huh. and it's getting that balance, I think, between man and machine. Um, yes, automation is obviously useful in so many ways, but unless you've got somebody. Uh, there alongside it who can understand the output of it and things like that you're not going to get the benefit of it so give me a top line definition of what a script is so an adwords script is a function not written in um, javascript programming language which basically manipulates and does things to Uh your adwords account essentially anything that you can do to an adwords account at a campaign level or an ad group level all the way down to a keyword level a script can do as well they can often do it a lot faster and on a larger scale and essentially that just makes your advertising or the way you know us delivering your advertising kind of work harder for you for less time basically yeah we can um, package up these menial tasks or or large-scale tasks that take a lot of of time um, have a script do them and free up our time to do more bigger thinking things strategy things or or just other adwords things that we need to do on a day-to-day basis um so that'll probably mean something to you guys but probably the best way of us explaining what script is is for sean to tell us a bit more about uh, the sort of thing a script can achieve. We thought the best way of doing that was for Sean, JavaScript is still a Miller. <laughs> this is a great nickname, by the way. I'm changing my LinkedIn profile. ASAP. Yeah, and don't forget email signature. Yeah. Facebook. Yeah. Name. Twitter. LinkedIn. Did we say LinkedIn? I you said LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah. Whoops. I'm gonna even go as far as Pinterest. Everything. I'm gonna write, I'm gonna create a meme for you. I wonder if I'd get a change in my passport. You could probably change it by default. That's true. I feel like the effort might outweigh. The no, no, never. Okay. It would, you know, if you just decided to go into like whiskey production, that'd be great too. Oh, you'd still. Be I mean, and I actually wouldn't because you'd still be JavaScript to still a minute. Which we could, is we could abbreviate that. Yeah. JV. Sean, JV distiller, and you could your whiskey could be called JV. That's catchy. JavaScript, the new whiskey from right. Sean. Scrap podcast. Miller. I've got stuff to do. Whiskey, <laughs> here I come. Whiskey fan. She's quitting, everyone. <laughs> She's actually left mission. Um, so, Sean, what are your three favourite scripts and what do they do? Cool. So, I've picked up three. There are hundreds and hundreds of scripts out there. There's loads that we use um, just in this agency. So, um, that's probably a small sort of snippet of what you can do. Um, but the three I've picked are quite different, so hopefully it should give us a, a sort of broad idea of what scripts can do. Um, the first one is to do with out-of-stock products. So mm-hmm. this was originally around in about 2013 from a guy called Russell Savage, who is um, really big in the script world, a bit of a script guru. Strong name. He, um, it is, it's a good name. Um, he owns a website called Free AdWords Scripts, which has got hundreds and hundreds of scripts on there that are just sort of open source for anybody to use. Mm-hmm. And this one in particular basically checks... Um, whether your products are in or out of stock. So they're really useful where we've got e-commerce clients that have got tons and tons of products and a lot of the searches that come through PPC on Bing and Google um, are very product specific. So people looking for 
maybe like a camera lens that matches mm-hmm. an exact model or just something that's really specific that people tend not to make category searches for. Um, so we'll have individual ad groups in the campaign, probably for each of those products. But when one of them goes out of stock, we're effectively wasting money sending traffic there when they can't buy the product. So this script will basically go and look at the landing page that's the product listing page, look for something on it that says it's out of stock, mm-hmm. and we'll just pause that ad group. And then the next time that script runs, whether that's hourly or daily, depending on how frequently you want it to do that, um, if it's back in stock, it will set it live again so we can get running again. Certainly not something you want to do manually. No, it takes a lot of effort to do it manually. Yeah, thousands and thousands of products. You don't want to be like, oh, that's out of stock, pause. Yeah. Pause. Yeah. Pause. um, Unless you want to hire... Maybe that's something we need to get a a grad to do. Yeah, that's a grad job. That's a grad grad job job right there. (laughs) We we love grads here at Search Star. (laughs) Number two. Number two. So number two is a um, auto bidding strategy. So mm. the the world of automation um, that Google are pushing, bidding is at the central point of that. A lot of the time, they've come up with all of these clever bid tools, really. Um, and something that's come out of this is a bid to position script. So if an advertiser has a target of being in a certain position on the ad search mm-hmm. results all the time, you might want to tweak your bids to make sure that you're hitting that position. So if you've, if you've gone above it, you might want to reduce your bids, and if you're below it, you want to increase your bids. But doing that manually across many campaigns, many ad groups, even many accounts, can be a, a tiresome process and, and take up a lot of time. So having a script in place to do it for you basically frees up your time and, and will let that run automatically. So the script itself will pull a report based on data over the last seven days or even the last day or just the last hour if you've got loads of Mm -hmm. um, clicks coming through and it will adjust the bids for individual keywords or individual ad groups to make sure that you're hitting that target position. Again, not something you want to keep doing yourself. No, it's um, yeah, certainly a <laughs> manual task that's not a lot of fun. And finally, last but not least, I'm very excited about number three. I don't know what it is, but... <laughs> Wait, Sean... you're waiting much longer. The third, uh, the third and final one is about 404 error pages, which oh. is probably the worst thing that can happen. Um, John Lewis... John, I, I you, was on John Lewis recently. I tweeted, I tweeted John Lewis the other day. I looked for a wooden. No, I got no response. I looked for a wooden picture frame, and did I find one? No, I got a four hundred four page, which I did not buy. Good, good to know. <laughs> anyway, sorry to interrupt. Carry so on. the four hundred four error page script will basically stop that happening. So if one of your ads is going through to a page and that page isn't working, the link's broken, it will just pause that campaign or pause that ad group, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, however level you need that to be. So basically it's a quick response to any website errors that means you're not wasting money sending traffic to your website when people can't do anything. Makes sense. No, it makes John sense. Lewis certainly need one of those as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, there are probably send... many, many other offenders. I might, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send them an email. I'd send, John them, Lewis, I'd send them the script. I'm coming for you, John Lewis, with the script in hand. Well, there we go. There Three favourite scripts in Sean Miller. Yeah, Sean the ones Miller. That I... I Distiller. like stop calling that. <laughs> uh, so, uh, just quickly, uh, where can people find these scripts? Basically everywhere. A quick Google search will probably give you hundreds and hundreds of results. Um, but Google your most reputable provider? Is Google, to be honest. Google, Google um, yes, and devs that are known to be Google devs and then specific AdWords devs um, okay. write their own and they make them open source. Um, and they're great, even if they're just a starting point for you to then sort of build on and make them specific to you. Um, there's loads out there. Exciting stuff. And, and, you know, we'll help you if you don't know how to do it. Just come, you know, come and spend some money. It's fine. Right, I've got a meeting. So, uh, 
Thanks for coming on the show. That's all right. Really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have you back. Good. But maybe we'll talk about something like whiskey next time. That's that would be good. Yeah. Whiskey. Well, when my whiskey business has really taken off, I'll come back. On the podcast. I might be one of your clients. Yeah. Oh, that'd be a change, wouldn't it? Exciting. See the other side. Bye. Bye. Right. Big story been all over the news pretty much everywhere uh, over the past what, week or so I think week maybe yep. not even that um, and this is all about Cambridge Analytica and Facebook basically I think it was a Channel 4 documentary that sort of wheedled out of Cambridge Analytica uh, this big data company it was driven um, by the Guardian actually and then they driven part- by the Guardian they driven by the Guardian who partnered with Channel 4 on it okay but it, and it turns out that Cambridge Analytica have been using less than ethical tactics to um, swing election results, essentially things like honey traps, fake news, and ex-spies. But also, they've been using, or it's been alleged that they've been using, illegal and unethical ways of using Facebook data harvested via third-party apps to achieve what they'd like to achieve. Um, The US Federal Trade Commission is reported to be investigating Facebook after these allegations, um, apparently 30 to 50 million users' private information was misused by a political consultancy firm, that is Cambridge Analytica. Um, and Alexander Kogan, uh, who is a Moldovan-born researcher from Cambridge University, um, has admitted that while employed by Cambridge Analytica, he has harvested the personal details of 30 million Facebook users via a personality app he developed. As a result, $30 billion, something like that, has been wiped from Facebook's value. People are going up against it, giving Zuckerberg a hard time. He stayed silent for a while, now he's apologised. You must have heard about it. You must have heard about the whole situation. What we think is interesting, and I actually saw this question posed on campaign, um, a, a question about the whole debacle... And wanting, without wanting to shamelessly rip that question off, I'm going to shamelessly rip that question off. And that question is, are the techniques used by Cambridge Analytica part of the value exchange that social media, media users must accept? So we'll, we'll discuss that quickly, and then we've got a bit more about how that applies to advertising to come. Do you, do you think that social medias have, media users have to accept that sort of value exchange? No, because the value exchange wasn't fair. Facebook was making super profits which it doesn't necessarily need to make so Facebook was rampantly running I mean it's not I haven't got a problem with what Facebook was doing with its advertising the problem the problem is that Facebook wasn't being secure with its clients data and then wasn't straight with people that it knew that it hadn't and that people's data was being abused by the likes of Cambridge Analytica and I suspect actually the Cambridge Analytica is is going to be the tip of the iceberg and that there are going to be an awful lot of people out there who've been doing some fairly suspect things with Facebook data that they managed to get up to about 2014 when I think Facebook mm-hmm. plugged the gap. So I don't... And I think it's a, there is a value exchange that is with any media where if you use it, if you read, you know, you read The Guardian, you know, no, no one's slagging off The Guardian for the fact that they run advertising. There is a value exchange, you read The Guardian, you look at the ads... Mm-hmm. And actually, the Guardian uses data to enhance the value of its ads. Actually, what Facebook is at a sort of basic level is doing isn't really any different. They're using data to maximise the value of their advertising, and they're giving people 
and they're using that to pay for a free service that people value, just like people value The Guardian's quality journalism, people value Facebook's products as brilliant social, brilliantly constructed pieces of social media tool engineering. So I don't necessarily think that, but the way that Cambridge Analytica were doing it was taking the piss. And Facebook yeah. wasn't pulling them up on it quickly about it and then wasn't being clean that it had been a bit thick. But I think Facebook have basically said that actually the way they're dealing, they haven't themselves done anything wrong, but the third-party users of that data are responsible for doing a certain number of things. Yeah, they've, been a bit, they've been a bit cavalier with their customers' privacy yeah. and then have not quite tried to cover it up, but they certainly haven't fessed up. No, that's true. I even, yeah, like I said, it even took Zuckerberg a while to, to, to apologise. Yeah. Beyond that, this has resulted in a delete Facebook campaign. So I suppose there's sort of an element of people who have sort of accepted the value exchange, almost almost expected this to happen, and then people who have said, oh, hang, about, hang about a minute, this isn't okay, we're going to delete Facebook. And that delete Facebook campaign has attracted voices of quite a number of people, including, interestingly, WhatsApp's co-founder and rich because of Zucker, um, Brian Acton. He who, sold WhatsApp for, I think, 12 billion quid. stupid. So I think yeah. to, to delete Facebook after its owner has given you 12 billion pounds is, is, <laughs> is entertaining as an attitude. But Are you going to delete Facebook, Dan? Um, it crossed my mind for about two seconds. But deleting Facebook is for... for I'm an advertising person. I've worked in advertising for 25 years. And, to, and, what, and none of this was massively surprising to me so I think it would have been a bit hypocritical if I'd suddenly gone oh my god that is so shocking <laughs> but I'm quite the extremity is sort of a little bit surprising and so uh, and actually I can't delete Facebook I need to be there to look at the ads I need yeah. to go on to it you know I made a comment to a client this morning that I'd looked at his website yesterday and then actually quite a nice Facebook ad had come up yeah. retargeting me and I kind of need to look at that sort of stuff and see how it develops so I might spend a little bit less time on it, so I might be a little bit shyer about how I use it, but I'm, I, I'm not really in a position to delete it. No, so, you, no. you, you but could... I think there's yeah. a time, you know, I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't think less of anyone who did, in actual fact. I'd probably think slightly more of them. No, um, well, you won't be thinking more of me because I'm certainly not going to delete it. I find it far too useful. I think, I think if you're in advertising anyway, you've, you've, kind, of, you've kind of got to be there. And it's also deleting people are going, oh, I'll delete Facebook, but I'm not going to delete Instagram. And I'm certainly not going to get rid of WhatsApp. Yeah. They're kind of, they're, and that's quite interesting, actually, because the bit, it's interesting what they're willing to get rid of. And people aren't talking about deleting Facebook. Possibly because it's not quite cool, they're not judging it to be cutting edge, and they're judging it to be a tiny bit disposable in their life, which is quite interesting. Whereas WhatsApp and Instagram, there's no talk. Maybe the, customer, maybe the consumer isn't clocking that they are Facebook to the same extent, but mm -hmm. I think it's also interesting that they're possibly judging Facebook not to be as cool, and which is certainly yeah, being borne true. out in the numbers of... You know, there is, a, there is evidence of, of shrinking Facebook use prior to this amongst the younger demographics. And I suspect that this is going to accelerate that quite quickly. And it might start drifting into the middle and older, older and sort of less funky, cutting edge, forward thinking groups as well. Do you see this as the end of Facebook to, yeah. make, to make everything a little bit hyperbolic? Um, no, not remotely. It's, I mean, not got, even the start of the end? It's, it's certainly not doing them any favours. Um, I, need, I think they need to have a very, very hard think on whether or not they're going to be nimble enough and whether or not, you know, I think they're going to lose a lot of money, but mm -hmm. then they have a lot of money to lose and they yeah. make obscene profits. 
Um, I think they are an absolute cash fountain from what I've heard from people who work there that, that never worked in businesses that are so cash rich. Um, no, so I think they can, they can afford to lose a bit of money, um, but they probably can't do it too many times. And I think the next, the next they, need to be, they need to be forward on this sort of thing as opposed to behind. Do you think we'll ever see the end of Facebook? I know our, yes, our... we will. It will go. There will be something else. Something there will be. I remember talking to somebody or other who worked at Google, and the question was, "What, what are you guys scared of at Google?" And they said, "We're scared of two guys in a garage. We don't know who they are, where they are, but somewhere there." Are, and they said, "The next big thing." They coming. said, two men." They, it was their comment. They said, "Oddly, it always does seem to be two men. Two men in a garage working on something or other that nobody quite understands. That will suddenly come out of nowhere and go, wow." And that's what they're scared of. And that will, at some stage, knock out Facebook. I doubt it's going to happen this year, but it might happen two, three years' time. And the pace, Google gave a very good talk a couple of a year or so ago about how the pace of technical, technological change is accelerating. And so whereas historically you would talk about companies having a five, ten-year horizon or whatever it is that you can't see, I think it is possible that something will come really fast out of nowhere and really land the likes of Facebook and Google a real lump. I mean, if you're looking at Google, then the real the killer out there would be voice search, um, that they just sort of completely fail to integrate the advertising, that they're, the likes of Facebook or Amazon Echo comes in and just dominates voice. Yeah, I can't quite see what it is at Facebook, apart from just a sort of judgment that they're evil. But then, you know, an awful lot of people voted for Donald Trump, and I suspect they're not going to give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that that sort of just as, as a final point that kind of highlights the power of the Facebook data yeah, doesn't it I the think, fact that Donald Trump is in power yeah kind I of. think you can I think you can t- you can look at all of this and you can you can say oh isn't it terrible or with my ad salesman hat on you can say well doesn't this show the power of what you can do with really good targeting on Facebook um, that's what people are horrified at people are horrified by how effective the advertising was when it was run with really, really sophisticated targeting. Yeah. Um, they'd slightly put their targeting, they were, they, were, they, were in the, they were doing the equivalent of sort of doping in sport with the way they were doing their targeting. They were achieving brilliant results by cheating, but just with le- legally doing really, really good targeting, you can also achieve some really good results on Facebook. You know, yeah. quite what they were achieving, but you know, 95% of what they were doing. And so I think if you want to be cynical about it, it does show what can really it shows what can be achieved with really good targeting on Facebook entirely legally, and if you as a business have no issue with it, which I think is a fairly fundamental capitalist question about whether you believe in advertising or not, and if you believe that your audience is also still there to an extent, then have a very hard look about what you could be doing with data on Facebook and what you could achieve. Yeah, it was an ethical, but boy, was it good. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> there's a. As a cyclist, I think there are some different parallels with this this story and the Team Sky Chris Froome talk at the moment. But let's not let's not get me started on that. Eh? Um, well, that's it. That's it for Downcast this week. It's been a bit of a short one. I think we'll go a bit easy on Dan. I'm going to go and have a broker. Um, he's going to go and have a broker and get himself back up to scratch. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye.